You're listening to Broke. We bring you stories about what happens at the intersection of poverty and life. I'm Joanne Goldblum. I've spent my career working with people in poverty. I'm joined by my friend, Colleen Shaddix, a journalist whose beat is social justice. Today, we're going to focus on Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF, which is more commonly known as welfare. So welfare is a really sweet deal, right? Lots of people get it. They get lots of money for it. The more kids they have, the more money they get. There's really no reason to work, and that's why I have to pay so much in taxes. You know, it is so funny, Colleen, that that's what you think, because... You know, that's just not the case. No. Yeah, no, I know that's shocking because a lot of people say, you know, right, why bother working? Right. Um, So it's funny because, you know, there was a big change in 1996. I know you like to talk about this. Mm, I do. What happened? So in 1996, Mm -hmm. we, Bill Clinton's campaign slogan was, we are going to end welfare as we know it. Right. And we went from aid to families with dependent children mm-hmm. to TANF, a right. program that was much shorter in scope, mm-hmm. um, that required more of recipients, that made it much harder to qualify. Right. And that also wasn't really all that focused on giving people money to get through life. Most TANF funds, as we know, are not actually spent on cash assistance to needy families. Right, because so what, so the idea as opposed to, um, you know, what happened, right, we, we switched to temporary assistance for needy families. So it was temporary, whereas mm-hmm. aid to families and dependent children, that was not time limited. So what we used to call welfare, AFDC, and what we now call welfare, TANF, are really two completely different programs. And TANF isn't really, I don't think, even fairly called welfare. No, so do you want me to read you what the um, what the, the goals, the four purposes of TANF are? You betcha. Okay, this is, I think this is fascinating. So it is, it has four stated goals, four purposes. One, to provide assistance to needy families so that children can be cared for in their own homes or the homes of relatives. So it's not to give people money so that they can manage. It's only Mm -hmm. in terms of um, family preservation. So the second is end the dependence of needy parents by promoting job preparation, work, and marriage. Prevent and reduce the incidence of out-of-wedlock pregnancies. And the last, encourage the formation and maintenance of two-parent families. So that's a little curious to me. It it doesn't quite seem like something government should be doing. You know, I'm all for small government. Yes. Um, And I don't really understand why government is legislating marriage. So it's interesting. Um... My take is a little bit different. It's less about if government should or shouldn't do it. I mean, I don't think they should, but but more if they were going to, why is it only connected to low-income families? Hmm, that's a great question. You know, nobody cares very much if you get married if you're not poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, except your mother. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
Um, but I could get divorced and the government wouldn't care at all. No, I don't think I would. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think they'd care. Um, and they wouldn't encourage you to maintain your two-parent family. It's also interesting. It almost seems to me like a substitute for paying women a living wage. Huh. Oh, I never thought of that. So the idea of this is that you maintain two-parent families so that the man can take care of you. Yeah, because, I mean, there's all these stats, right, Mm. that women-led households are um, much more likely to be in poverty. Mm -hmm. So the solution is to get a well-paid person in the household, i.e. a man. Um, I was just doing some research on workforce development programs for people on TANF, um, and there's a fair amount of federal money to train people on TANF for healthcare professions. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of that goes to train them to be home health aides or nursing assistants, which are jobs that are really good at keeping you in poverty. Yes, that um, that is really interesting. And I think one of the other things that um, it's really weird about TANF is that hardly anybody gets it. Yeah. Like, I, I was looking at um, some statistics about the number of people in poverty and the number of people who get cash assistance. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers... So... Um, California has the most um, kids who live in poverty who actually get benefits. Mm-hmm. But so California is the top with not quite 65% of the kids who um, live in poverty getting benefits. But Louisiana, less than 10%. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think it's all about? I mean, why do you think it's like this? So I think it's um, because we hate poor people. Mm. I think it's because we hate poor women who have children in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, real claim to fame here. People think that Ronald Reagan coined the term welfare queen. It wasn't him, was it? It wasn't him. My father was using it in the 1970s. Oh, you must be so proud. I'm very proud, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... He would go on at Sunday dinner about these women who went to pick up their welfare benefits in their Cadillac, mm-hmm. and they kept having more children so that they can get more money. Right. And there's this very still widehead, widely held perception mm-hmm. that a lot of people are getting welfare and that one can be quite comfortable on it. Well, in fact, we know that a TANF payment does not pay the market rate rent in any state in the nation. Right. And one of the things that is um, crazy is that even if you get cash assistance in almost every state, you would still be living at 50% of poverty. So deep poverty. Yeah. Right? That's that's insane. So it, TANF is often seen as a policy victory mm-hmm. because the number of people getting welfare is much smaller than it was before the 1990s. But so is extreme poverty. Extreme poverty has gone up precipitously in the United States. So that's exactly what happened. We stopped giving people assistance and we pushed more people into poverty. Right. 
Right. I mean, there's this idea that just because people don't get the benefit means that we are somehow better off. No, we're better at telling people they can't have what they need. Right. And so one thing that I was looking at that I think is is really interesting is how TANF money gets spent, right? So, you know, if you look at just the block grant, it's, it's a sort of big number. Mm-hmm. But in states, only 24% of the money is actually spent on basic assistance. Yeah. You know, it's spent on so many crazy things. It's spent on work activities, work support, childcare, administration, refundable tax credits, pre-K, child welfare, and then other. And not that these aren't important things. Sure they are. Yeah. But are they this, the, the, the basic social safety net, which is providing assistance? There are some states where TANF money is used to fund college scholarships at state universities for middle-class students. Wait, tell me more. Yeah. So, you know, you alluded to the whole block grant Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. So block grants are horrible ideas. Um, When you make a program a block grant... Can I just say, sorry, Colleen... Mm. Can we do a podcast on block grants? We can do a podcast on anything you want, Joanne. Block grants, great. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I okay. did, but go ahead. But, okay, so here's my 30-second thing, and people should, of course, listen to the full podcast Right, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, when a state gets a block grant, that means they're getting a chunk of federal money that mm-hmm. they can administer with wide latitude. Very. So that means that they don't have to not only not give cash assistance to families, Mm -hmm. but not even really spend the money in a way that's going to benefit the TANF family. They can move it around all over the place to shore up their state budget. So um, TANF, in a real way, is not a program that's entirely dedicated to people in poverty in this country anymore. The amount of money people get is so, so low. I mean, you know, one thing that I wanted to find to to talk about is um, you know how little the actual grant is. So if you even happen to get the grant, mm-hmm. which is very unlikely, so there are some states where it, you you would be a little bit above deep poverty. The lowest in Mississippi, you can't even make this up. $170 a month. So the grant is tied to the size of your family. Right. Um, uh. And there is this belief that people have more children so that their welfare check goes up. Well, TANF did away with that. Yeah. Um, states can now limit you so that if you have a child while you are on TANF, mm-hmm. your benefit is not adjusted for that child. And it varies from state to state. Where we live in Connecticut, um, you get a reduced benefit for the additional child. But, you know, babies happen sometimes. Well, and this idea, you know, so it was an idea in 1996. There is lots of research that shows doesn't reduce the number of babies. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't. The family cap, you hear it called different things, maximum family grant, the family cap. It doesn't work. Yeah. So 
the fact that we still do it makes me think that we're just mean. Well, I think it's punishing people. I think it's I think it's racist. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that there is a perception that there are people who aren't making good decisions about having babies. Um, you know, and I mean, who knows what a good decision is about having a baby, <laughs> right? Um, and it, it just it punishes people. It's just meant to punish people. It's meant to shame people. So I have to go a step further. It's meant to shame women. Yes, it's men. Meant, okay, it's I mean, meant to shame women. You know, yeah. and and I guess you know it's funny because when I talk about this stuff publicly, I always say, and you know, and my kids are going to listen to this, but I think they know this by now. Um, you know, I am never the only woman in the room who has gotten pregnant by accident. Mm-hmm. Never. I mean, I might be the only woman in this room because mm-hmm. there are only two of us, but uh, you know, I am rarely. And and right. Everybody, it happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. And so really, and this is a little bit, you know, off off topic maybe, but I don't really think so. They really want to control poor women's sex lives. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. They're saying mm-hmm. you're too poor to be allowed to have sex because if you have sex every so often, people get pregnant by accident, yeah. you know, even and and the rule for TANF, this one is crazy. It it upsets me every time I think about it. The only way to be exempt from the family cap, if mm-hmm. you're in a state where it exists, you know what mm-hmm. you have to do? No. To prove that the baby was conceived while using contraception, <laughs> or you can prove that it was as a result of rape. Prove. Wow. I did not know that. That's yeah. um, it's, it's, so it's worse than I thought. Yeah, yeah. So, right. I mean, and how do you do that exactly? Well, I was thinking that very thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're on birth control pills, you can produce a prescription, but there's lots of means of birth control that you don't have a prescription for. Right, right. Um, and, and, and it's really, I mean, it's just, you know, we know that it doesn't work. And so the only reason we still do it is because we're we're mean yeah. and we believe somehow that poor people need to be taught a lesson. Yeah, and we're going to teach you that lesson by making sure that your kids don't have enough money to meet their basic needs. Right. I mean, that's even if you want to punish women for having sex, you can punish their children too. Right. And and this is the thing. One one thing to go back to sort of the difference between AFDC and TANF. In 1995, AFDC lifted 56% of children who would otherwise have been in deep poverty out of deep poverty. Mm-hmm. That was 1995. We, we lifted 56% of poor children up. In 2014... We lifted 18%. Yeah. It's really shameful. Nobody gets cash assistance. And it's funny, before, when I was getting ready for this podcast, I was looking, you know, we, you know, we live in Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> um, and I was looking at the application. I was thinking, okay, you know, I know that, that it requires a lot to apply for um, governmental benefits. Do you know... On the web page, nowhere does it tell you 
what you need to bring to apply. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I know that among the things that are included are birth certificates for everybody, mm -hmm. everybody in the household, social security cards, you need to prove your income, so you need to show um, pay stubs or, you know, some proof of income, you know, so many different things. And those are difficult things to keep. We find all of these ways to keep people from getting the help that they need. Right. They're difficult things to keep, particularly if you're a person who has to move frequently right. because you've been evicted or you can't afford the rent or the relative that you were staying with said, okay, mm -hmm. my charity has extended to you long enough. It's saying that the richest country in the world doesn't care enough about the children growing up here to give them enough money to function in our society. Yeah, because we hate the mothers more than we love the children. It's really true. It's it's really true. We hate low-income mothers. We hate them. And and it goes to, you know, when I was just talking about applications and stuff, it's one of the ways that we hate, right? Because we make it so difficult. And, you know, you've heard me say this a million times before, but one of the things I always think about when it comes to poverty is how hard it is to get things done when you have all the money that you need. Yeah. Right? When I've had to get paper, we were recently going through some insurance thing with one of my kids. And, you know, the amount of paperwork and phone calls back and forth, mm -hmm. like, and I have a job that allows me to make calls during the day if I need to. That allows me to use my computer to do the things I need to do for my life. Yeah. You know, what happens when you don't have that? Right. You know, if you're working in retail, if you're working as a waitress, if you're working at the counter of a, of a food service, you know, you can't stop to make personal phone calls. No, you can't. My mom was a waitress, and if I got sick in school, somebody called Aunt May. Really? That was whose uh, number was at the principal's office because it was my mother would have gotten fired mm -hmm. if she took a phone call. Like, that's the way it was. Right. And, and that goes to, you know, just how difficult it is. Like you mentioned that um, so many people, so many women in welfare-to-work programs are... Um, being trained to be home attendants or, mm -hmm. or um, you know, home health aides, that those are not jobs you can leave. No, they're not. Um, in fact, with interviewing a bunch of home health aides, mm -hmm. um, I didn't talk to anybody who worked 40 hours a week. They were all working like 50, 60, 70 hours a week to pay the rent. Right. And they all expressed extreme guilt about mm -hmm. the fact that they weren't home with their kids more. Right, right, right. And and what kind of choice? And, and that's the thing that is always so horrifying is we put people in positions that are completely untenable. Yeah. And, and then what, what are they supposed to do? You know, the um, the work requirement for a woman with a child under six mm -hmm. is 20 hours a week on TANF. So, you know, you need 
child care mm-hmm. and you need a job that's going to pay you enough to make up for that child care. Mm-hmm. Right. And one thing that's interesting, and it differs from state to state, is that um, often your child care benefits don't kick in until after you've gotten a job. Right. So, so how are you going to get a job? Right. And and how yeah. do you look for a job? You know, yeah. when that comes up, I often think about, you know, I'm pretty easygoing as a boss. But, you know, if I was interviewing and someone came in with their child. Oh, yeah. Right? You can't go into an interview with your baby, with your kid. You know, I would think, well, you know what? I don't think that they're really ready to work. They don't seem to have a plan for their kid. You know, not that long ago, there was a woman arrested because she left her kids in her car while she went into a job interview. You shouldn't leave your kid in your car. I agree with that. But like, what was her choice? Right. She had no choice. That's right. what we keep coming back to. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, think about it. So if you're, you know, talking about needing to work 20 hours a week and needing to prove it. Yeah. You know, so that I think is another really important thing that makes this more difficult for people because so many low-wage jobs are off the books. Yeah, you're, you're cleaning houses. There's all sorts of things Babysitting. where you're just not going to have a paper trail. Right. And and so then that doesn't count. Right. You know? So you and I could probably negotiate TANF. Probably. With a fair amount of work. Right. Um. But how does somebody with no resources do it? Right. And you and I are not afraid to really keep pounding the same person over and over well, again. Well, you're like that. I'm very nice. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think I am nice, too. I am I am kindly persistent. Yes, that's true. That's Thank true. you. It's being difficult. Oh, okay. Um, you're right. We make it as hard as we can possibly make it so that we give cash to as few people as we possibly can. We make the cash payment as low as it can be. Mm-hmm. And the result is we have a lot more kids living in extreme poverty than we did before we started this really, really bad policy idea that I would say not a lot of other people are that upset about. <laughs> well, right. There definitely are some, but it's a small handful. Nobody thinks about it very much. And I think one of the problems is... And, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, too. You know, not for nothing, TANF was implemented by a Democratic president. Yeah, it was. You know, and I think that as time goes on, it's harder and harder to undo the the problems of it because we are so partisan now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Republicans say, well, you know, that was a Democrat. Yep. Shame on him. Shame on him. So I'll tell a story which may get cut out of the final podcast. But when my son was in preschool, the Monica Lewinsky story Mm. was in the news. Mm. And one morning, one little girl asked the teacher why people were so mad at the president. Mm -hmm. And the teacher swallowed hard and wondered what she would say. Mm -hmm. And my little darling raised his hand and he said... Because Bill Clinton signed the Welfare Reform Act, and that's worse than anything Reagan ever did. 
that was 1996. We're now a long way from there. Yeah. This hasn't worked. No, it's clearly not working. And we still have the same stories about it. And really, I think this is the big question, and this is what I'd love to hear from other people about, is why do we have such cruel policies? Yeah. And I think it goes back to we just hate low-income mothers. We really do hate them. And I don't think there's a lot of subtlety. Right, but what, I mean, I guess, you know, it's funny. Um, I guess you're just a more accepting person than me. <laughs> I don't understand. And I, I can't believe that legislators and people who put these programs together don't know that. Mm-hmm. And what, what can we do to change it? Well, I think one thing that we can do is what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth. Okay. Because I think that most people think that welfare is exactly what I described it as mm-hmm. when we started. This, right. This big old cash cow that people can come along and milk for as long as they want. Mm-hmm. When in fact, most people are not given access to the cow at all. Right. And what you get is four ounces of skim milk for a right. couple of years, and then, <laughs> sorry. Well, and I guess that the other question is, right, is it so bad to need help? No, it's not. I mean, it, you know, the world's not fair. Stuff happens. Yeah, and and so why do we make it so hard? And And especially with young children, my God, you know, it's so hard when you have little kids. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. And, you know, even if we hate mom, sure. even if we've decided, okay, we hate mom, sure. we know that scarcity really harms children Absolutely. six ways to Sunday. And these, these kids are our future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why would you promote a policy that has been successful in increasing the number of children in extreme poverty in the United States. Right. I, I don't know. And I don't know why more people aren't enraged. Yeah. I guess that's one of our big questions in general. In general. I mean, we have a fairly low rage quotient, <laughs> I would say. Um, there are a lot of things to be enraged about in the world. Um, and I think we live in a very ratified kind of society sure um i think that most people who are middle and upper class hang out with other people who are middle and upper class and have no idea really what life is like if you're not you know i guess that's true but even within that i mean we all have imaginations right we all know what it means to go to the store and forget our wallet, mm-hmm. right? Or be at the store and find out you don't have any cash and mm-hmm. you don't have a credit card. Can't we think about, well, what would it be like if that were every day? Yeah. If it wasn't just that I forgot it, but I didn't have it? Like, why is it so hard for people to imagine other people's lives? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you were clear. You were raised by people who had empathy. You were raised by sure. people who cared. Okay, but 
but I guess that's the thing is that I believe most people are decent people. And that's what I don't understand is if on an individual basis, people are decent, Mm -hmm. how we can sort of um, de-humanize other people. I don't have the answer to that. You don't? No. When I figure out, I'm going to call you. But I count on you to to help me with these things, Colleen. (laughs) No, it's horrible. And I think that, I think you're right. So I'm really glad that we've done this today because... I feel like it's a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah. And people need to say, well, what does that mean in my state? And there's yeah. lots of information out there that people can get about this. Yeah. Um, a place I like to go to is the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. I go um, there all the time. They're very good mm-hmm. at breaking down policy mm-hmm. and showing you how it really affects people. And they do a lot of work on TANF. Yeah, they do. That They have an amazing program, and, and um, I count on, on their analysis to get lots of the information that I use. And this is self-serving, but I think people should share our podcast. I think that's a really good idea. I think, you know, next time you, you Thanksgiving dinner when mm-hmm. Uncle John is talking about these horrible people on welfare, mm-hmm. send it to him. Or maybe even send it to half a dozen people who are a little more likely to be receptive. Sure. Or if you want, I can call Uncle John. Okay. Great. I, mean, I don't know. Do you think he wants to talk to me? <laughs> Well, um, he doesn't want to talk to me. So it's something we haven't tried. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for listening to Broke. Do you have a story to tell us about how poverty is affecting your life? We want to hear from you. Send us an email at AmericanBroke at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 203-508-0879 and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you, Colleen. Colleen.